ever wished that it was all just a dream. In the book of 1 Samuel, the Israelites were trying to wake themselves up from a nightmare. The, the Philistines, their enemies, they'd captured the Ark of the Covenant, the sacred container of the Ten Commandments, and they placed it in the house of Dagon, their God. And this is what happens next. When the people of Ashdod, Ashdod being a city in Philistia, when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. And so the Philistines had taken the, the Ark of the Covenant to the place that the Israelites would never have wanted it to have gone. And yet in the place of apparent defeat came an undeniable victory. Well, a year or so ago, we, we looked at Colossians chapter 2 as part of a series that we called Why Jesus Died. And in the fourth message of that series, we saw that Jesus died to disarm demons. And because of what we're looking at in our Sunday morning series in Ephesians at the moment on spiritual warfare, I thought it would be good for us to revisit that passage that we looked at a year or so ago. Because in Colossians 2, 13 to 15, Paul makes the point, Jesus disarmed demons. Jesus was like the Ark of the Covenant, taken to the last place on earth that the disciples would have wanted him to have gone, to the cross of Christ, to the cross. And yet in the place of apparent defeat came an undeniable victory. A great theologian of the, of the last century, he said this, he said, look at him there, spread eagled and skewered on his cross, robbed of all freedom of movement, strung up with nails or ropes or both, pins there and powerless, it appears to be total defeat. If there is victory, it is the victory of pride, prejudice, jealousy, hatred, cowardice, and brutality. Yet the Christian claim is that the reality is the opposite of the appearance. What looks like, and indeed was, the defeat of goodness by evil is also, and more certainly, the defeat of evil by goodness. Overcome there, he himself overcoming. Crushed by the ruthless power of Rome, he was himself crushing the serpent's head. The victim was the victor, and the cross is still the throne from which he rules the world. Jesus died to disarm demons. And therefore, may this return to Colossians 
chapter 2 enable you to taste the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the truth is, His victory is your victory if you are in Him. And when you get that, when you believe that, when you know it, not just in your brain, but in your soul, it changes everything about the way you view your life. It's why Paul could endure floggings and imprisonments and beatings and shipwrecks and even the great burden of the many churches and yet say all at the same time, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession from a prison cell. And who also said we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so again, Jesus died to disarm demonic powers. And today we're going to see number one, demonic power against us. And number two, God's victory for us. Number one then, demonic power against us. Because we need to ask the question, first of all, what do demons have with us, what's the problem? Why are they against us in the first place? Maybe you're here and you're, you're not yet a Christian and you're thinking to yourself, Hugh, I don't even believe in demons, uh, but if they do exist, then what problem could they possibly have with me? I just go to work, I come back from work, I love my wife, I try, try to pay my taxes honestly. What's, what's the problem? Well, here are two answers to that. Demons are against us because human beings display the glory of God. Not perfectly, but as image bearers of God, we, we rub something of God's divine genius in their faces. But they're against us too because we can display the power of God's saving love. In other words, when a sinner receives the gospel of Christ, and when the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives, they become a walking, talking, breathing, living billboard of God's saving power and love. And that is their worst nightmare. But Paul says here that there was a time, a time in the Colossians' lives, a time in the Hylakians' lives, when demons had the upper hand in our lives. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, they were, we were unable to respond to divine stimuli. And therefore, the devil and demons had us exactly where they wanted us to be. Paul took this one step further, didn't he? In Ephesians chapter 2, we, we were in Ephesians 2. A number of months ago, and Paul said there, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Do you hear that? Dead to God, alive to the devil, marching to the beat of his drum, being led about by the nose by him, and moved like a puppet on a string by the devil himself. And so the devil and his demons, they were pleased when they looked at us. But what brought them most joy of all was the record of wrong that stood against us with its legal demands. 
verse 14. Their list of sins, our list of sins, with our names, with our faces plastered on the top of the list. Why did that bring them so much joy? Because they know that God is just and that God must punish sin. And so they were waiting for the day when we died and they could shove that record of wrong in God's face and have God damn us to hell. And that's the demonic power that the devil has against you. Young person tonight, raised in a Christian home, may a working knowledge of the Bible, that's the power that they have over you in this moment today. And the day is fast approaching when the seal of your record of wrong will be broken. And the record of wrong will be read in the courtroom of heaven from top to bottom. Not one sin will be omitted. And the devil's main task in your life is distracting you from the reality of that impending appointment. That life is like this conveyor belt that takes you from the cradle to the courtroom. And the devil's objective in your life is to to make you think that all is well. That all is well in your life. That all is well between you and God. When in fact it isn't all well at all. A number of years ago I came across an illustration of how this works from a, a scientist's research of how the beef industry works best. Bear, bear with me. It says, it says this, high stress levels in animals can release hormones that often downgrade the quality of the meat. Some of the largest corporations in the world hired this scientist to visit their meat plants with a checklist. She, she said her secret was the insight that novelty distresses cows. A slaughterhouse then, in order to keep the cattle relaxed, should remove anything from the sight of the animals that isn't completely familiar. If, if dairy cattle are used to seeing bright yellow raincoats slung over gates every day when they enter the milking parlor, there'd be no problem, she counsels. It's the animals who's seeing a bright yellow raincoat slung over a gate for the first time at a slaughter plant who's going to balk. Workers shouldn't shout at the cows, she said, and they should never use, uh, never ever use cattle prods because they're counterproductive and unneeded. If you just keep the cows contented and comfortable, they'll go wherever they're led. Don't surprise them. Don't unnerve them. And above all, don't hurt them. Well, at least until you slit their throats at the end. Along the way, this scientist devised a a, a new technology that has revolutionized the way the big slaughter, uh, the ways of the big slaughter operations. In this system, the cows aren't prodded off the lorry, but are led in silence onto a ramp. They go through a squeeze chute, a gentle pressure device that mimics a mother's nuzzling touch. The cattle continue down the ramp onto a smoothly curving path. There are no sudden turns. The cows experience the sensation of going home the same kind of way they've traveled so many times before. And as they mosey along the path, they don't even notice when their hooves are no longer touching the ground. 
A conveyor belt slowly lifts them gently upward, and then in the twinkling of an eye, a blunt instrument levels a surgical strike right between their eyes. They're transitioned from livestock to meat, and they're never aware enough to be alarmed by any of it. The pioneer of this technology commends it to the slaughterhouses and affectionately gives it a nickname. She calls it the stairway to heaven. And that's what the devil wants to do in your life. He wants to keep you happy. He wants to keep you contented. He wants to keep you comfortable with worldly distractions and pleasures to keep you from recognizing the slaughterhouse at the end of your life. And friends, in view of that, there really are only three options, two of them invalid, one of them valid. The first is simply just to live in denial. There is no record of debt. There will be no judgment. There are no demons. There is no God. There is no judgment to come. But friends, that is to make Jesus Christ a liar. Because Jesus spoke often and regularly about the coming day of the Lord. And therefore, to deny the coming day of the Lord is to deny Christ and is to call him a liar. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The second option is self-reform. So you say, okay, if there is a a record of wrong, a a, a record of debt, then I'm going to work on the other list, the other record, the record of of my good works. And the hope is that in the end, when I stand before God in his courtroom, that list will outweigh the first list. But friend, that doesn't even work in human courtrooms. And therefore, it will not work in God's courtroom either. If a crime has been committed, the crime has to be paid for regardless of whatever else the person has done in their life. I know a a lawyer who was once in court overhearing a, a hearing. And the defendant of a criminal was trying to argue this uh, on behalf of this, uh, of this man. And he said to the judge, listen, these, these crimes that this man have, have committed, they're just, they're just silly, petty crimes. All he needs is a good talking to and, and all will be well. Well, what this guy had actually done is break into cars and, and steal CD players. And so the judge responded, I've had my car break, broken into twice this past year and CD players stolen from both of them. I assure you it is not a silly or a petty crime. And when it comes to our sin, we can, be, we can be tempted to think, God will let me off, all will be well, no big deal, God will forgive me, that's his job. But friend, God is just, and therefore God must and God will punish sin. And therefore, there's a third option for you, and that is to trust God's victory for you. And that's our second heading tonight, God's victory 
for us. Because yes, the devil and his fallen angels, they did have us right where they wanted us. But look at the middle of verse 13. It says, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, they being the demons, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see what Paul is saying? God took the record of debt out of their hands and he put it onto the hand of Christ and he nailed the nail through our record of debt when Christ was nailed to the cross and therefore the record of debt is washed in blood. And there are three words that appear at the bottom of the record of debt that say paid in full. Every sin paid for, every transgression paid for and covered. That's why we sang this morning, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And that's how God disarmed the rulers and authorities, the demons. He pulled the ground of their accusation beneath their feet. And it's why Paul could ask in Romans chapter 8, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Mission accomplished. Christ is victorious. Martin Luther was once trying to wake himself up from a, from a nightmare. And in this dream, the, the devil himself came to him with his own record of wrong that stood against him. The tempter said to him, is that true? Did you write it? The poor terrified Luther, someone wrote, said, I had to confess it was all true. Scroll after scroll was unrolled and the same confession was wrung from him again and again. At length, the evil one prepared to take his departure, having brought Luther down to the lowest depths of abject misery. Suddenly, the reformer turned to the tempter and said, it is true, every word of it, but right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. When I used to work at Christians Against Poverty, I used to facilitate these repayment plans for people who were in debt. And sometimes what I'd have to do is talk a bailiff down on the phone. So there they were, they were trying to gain entry into a client's home. And I would stand in between them and the, and the client and I would say, listen, a payment plan is in place, the debt level is going down. And in that moment, they could choose to have mercy uh, or they could be very, very crafty. You see a, a, an enforcement agent or a bailiff, they can't gain entry into a person's home unless the person gives them permission. And so sometimes they would, they would say things like this, okay, listen, I'll, I'll leave you, no problem. Uh, the, the repayment plan is in place, so we won't be uh, doing anything today. Could I just use your bathroom before I go? And they would say, yeah, sure, come in and use it. And the moment they walked in, they would just start pricing up items and taking them 
right out of their home. But if the debt was paid, there could be no discussion. There could be no underhanded tactics at all because there was no debt to collect against. It was paid in full. And that's the truth with us. If you're a believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the debt is altogether paid. And therefore, the devil may well stand at your door. He may accuse you through the letterbox. He may try to bring up past failure in your life. But the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. The price is paid. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And not only did Jesus disarm demons, but he shamed them too. He humiliated them. Look at verse 15 again. He, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities, demons, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the idea here is that of a, of a Roman victory parade. If there was a, a commander or a general who'd invaded a, a territory and conquered it, they would not only take spoil and resources back into their town or their city, but they would chain prisoners to the back of the, of the victory parade so that when they rode back into town to all of the shouts and the cheers and the applauds of the people, the presence of the slaves would make it abundantly clear, we have lost and Caesar has won. And today we can say, demons have lost, Jesus Christ has won because God has put them to open shame in and through the cross of Christ. So then what should we do? Well, here are two final closing words of application, borrowed both from John Stott's excellent commentary on these verses. First of all, we must resist the devil. And this is where the, the day in, day out onus really does fall on us to engage in this combat. It's not about just stocking your brain full of information. It is about a day-in, day-out combat against the enemies as we stand firm, as we've been thinking in Ephesians chapter 6. Resist him, the apostle Peter says, firm in your faith. That is, don't buy what he's selling. Don't believe what he's proclaiming. Don't accept what he's preaching to you. He will accuse you, but he cannot condemn you. And so resist him firm in your face. Run to the cross of Christ whenever you hear his footsteps gaining on you in your life. Resist him when he says, listen, if you just accept God's forgiveness, then it's going to make it look like you don't think sin is a, is a big deal. You need to wallow in your shame. You need to wallow in your shame endlessly. 
in order for you to show God that you take sin seriously. But friend, that is a lie. Resist him from in your faith. But second, proclaim Jesus Christ because this is how we share in Jesus' victory. This is how we share in Jesus' victory. John Stott, in, these, in this commentary on this verse, he says that the, the conquest of evil takes place in six stages. Stage number one, the conquest predicted. God promised Jesus in the garden. Stage two, the conquest begun in the ministry of Jesus. Stage three, the conquest achieved when Jesus died and rose for sinners. The conquest confirmed and announced when Jesus ascended. And stage five, the conquest extended. And this is where we come in as we proclaim the gospel to a lost world. We demolish the strongholds and the the footholds that they have in this world. And then stage number six, the conquest consummated with the return of the Lord Jesus and the casting down of the devil into the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Well, friends, you don't need me to tell you that stage six hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for that final stage. We live in between stage five and six. Today is the day of proclamation. And you don't need a platform. You don't need a microphone. You don't need a a congregation to preach to. You need a convinced mind and a firm faith And a warm heart for the people that you speak to. And as you proclaim Jesus Christ. And the victory of his cross. Know that the God of peace. Will soon crush his head. Under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we'll sing together. Father, thank you for our crucified, risen, ascended Lord, the the conqueror of all the hosts of hell. We thank you that though they accuse us, they cannot condemn us because Christ has already been condemned in our place. We thank you that he rose to demonstrate to the whole world that the price in fact is paid. And we can now enter into all that Christ has bought for us and live in the good of his victory, knowing that he is risen. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church to do that as we rejoice our way to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.